All right, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Would you, I know you stood already. I know we seem like Pentecostal, but that's all right. You may up and down, up and down, but you're getting your, you're getting your exercise at church. So anyway, 1 Timothy chapter 4. As I've always said, we should always stand for the Word of God because one day we're going to kneel before the Word of God and give an account for the Word of God, but uh, God's Word is God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, and it says this. Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Father, in these moments that we have together, I pray that, God, you would bless our time today. Thank you, God, for the reading of your word. It does not ever return void. And, Father, I pray that, God, you will teach us and and God speak to us and that, God, as we leave here this place today, that, God, we'll have an even greater zeal and passion to know your word, to study your word, and God, to be products of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, through your Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I told the Wednesday night group that I, that I was going to preach this at some point, and I preached, I spoke it or taught it this past Wednesday to the group that was there, and I said, you never know, I may do this in the future. Well, I believe I'm supposed to preach on it today. And so then that is this, the significance of Scripture. The significance of Scripture. Let me just ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud. But what does Scripture do for you? And why would you, why do you think we as Christians that the Word of God is so vital for our lives? Now think about that, teenagers. Think about that, adults. Think about that, college students. Think about that. If you're a deacon or, a, or a, well, I know that we, we come to church and we expect to read the word of God. And as I said on Wednesday, and we'll continue to stay, and you expect this, and it's a great expectation, and it's supposed to be from, from anyone who teaches from a pulpit, that anyone who teaches from a pulpit to have an impact in our world and impact people's lives, look, there's no other way that it can be impacted unless you teach the word of God. Unless you teach the Word of God. Because there are those who like to stand up and look. I'm just going on. There are people that no wonder our lives can be so shallow because we listen to things that sound good that come from people that may be on TV or not just TV preachers, but it could be on the radio. It could be in other forms or other places of worship where they're really good at telling stories and communicating through that, but they never hardly even open up or even have a backbone or even have a conviction to preach and teach the Word of God. Because the Word of God is living and active and powerful, that that it, it penetrates, but God's Word is God's Word. And if Jesus, if Jesus, when He was being tempted by Satan, and in His weakness, by the way, How many days was he in the wilderness? Do you remember? How many days? Somebody real quickly. Absolutely, young man. Absolutely. I heard it. 40 days, 40 nights. He was there. No food. Listen, no food, nothing to eat. And then Satan came and tempted him at one of his weak, actually his weakest moment. He was fully God, fully man. He was fully man. Fully God, but his man side of him, he was weak too. He experienced what we experienced. He experienced hunger. He experienced pain. Everything. But when he was weak, 
The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, when he was in there before, the, he was being tempted by Satan, and Satan tempted him, turn these stones into bread. He knew Jesus, he knew exactly Jesus could call upon his father and turn whatever, he could have had food lined up for days. And what did he do? He did not give in to Satan because it sounded good. But he said, man shall not live on bread alone, but what? By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And if Jesus, God's son, said that, how much greater with us being imperfect that we need the significance of God's word. So, here to take notes, I encourage you, you can write these down. First of all, we're going to look at three ways God has revealed his word to us. Three aspects of scripture from this point, from 1 Timothy 4, 13. And then we're going to look at what does scripture do in our lives? And then lastly, how do we apply? But real quickly, I want you to learn something here today. And many of you may already know this. But there are three ways God has revealed his word. Three ways. And those of you that came on Wednesday night, do not answer. Okay? All right? But I want to ask a question. There are three ways that God had revealed, has revealed his word to us. What do you think one of those could be? Somebody that know you know the Bible, you know that. But what do you think, three ways that God has revealed his word? How did, he, how, how, how did that happen? Can somebody tell me? How do we know? What now? Through Jesus. All right, you had the living word. Jesus Christ, we're going to get to that. Jesus Christ was the living word. That's how God revealed his word to us, through the living word. How did he reveal it through? Do what now? Prophets, absolutely, absolutely. The written word, the writ, the, excuse me, the spoken word, the spoken word. He revealed it through the prophets. And what did they say? Whenever you read the prophets of the Old Testament, how did it start out? It started out like this. It said, and the Lord said, or the Lord spoke to Moses, or the Lord spoke to Jeremiah. There is the spoken word. So you have the living word, the spoken word, and then I, I actually revealed the third one. What's the third way? The written word, that's right. Let's go through it real quick. First of all, you have the spoken word. In Genesis 1-3, and the Bible says, and God said, he said several things when he was creating the world. He said one of those, was, let there be light, let there be day, let there be night, let there be, let there, let there be all these things. Say, and God said, the spoken word. Let me ask you a question. Did Moses hear the spoken word of God? Absolutely. He heard the audible voice of God. He heard God talking to him, the spoken word. And Genesis 1.28 says, and God blessed them and said to them. And in Genesis 2.16, and the Lord commanded the man, Adam, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. He said, you are free. Well, you know the rest of the story. It was one he wasn't supposed to touch. But the point is, is that he spoke the word of God to them. And that's when you read in the Bible where God spoke to people like Jeremiah, Hosea, uh, Esther, uh, Nehemiah, on and down and on and Malachi, Joel, all of those, Habakkuk, everything. And the word of the Lord said to me or came to me, the spoken word. And then number two, you have the living word. The living word, which is Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Someone may ask you, well, how do I know Jesus is God? How do I know that Jesus is and the Father are one. John 1.1 1, 1 is one, the, the John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word, Word, is capitalized there, meaning Jesus. 
John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the living word of God. And then Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3 says this, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers, there it is, the spoken word, spoke to our forefathers through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, which we are in these last days, meaning that, that, that he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Listen very carefully. Very carefully. We are in the days of the new covenant, and the only other person after the Old Testament that God decided to speak his word through was his son, Jesus Christ, to the people who wrote the word of God. He didn't go through Muhammad. He didn't go through Buddha. He didn't go through Joseph Smith. He didn't go through a church of Scientology. All these men who've made up all of these religions, all these man-made, no, no, no. He has spoken the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. It is complete. It is done. We don't have to worry about anything. We just need to apply what we hear. Amen. Amen. We just need to apply and take God at his word. But when other religions bring another book like the Quran or the Book of Mormon and they lay it down or whatever other kind of book that lays down next to the Bible, it is not equal to the Bible. The Bible is God's word. It reigns and it rules and therefore we are to use it. It is powerful and effective and it is, it is, it is powerful. The spoken word, the living word, and then the written word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You know, as a pastor, and um, I, I'll go through, I, you know, I, have, I do a lot of counseling. You know that. I've already told you that. And then it may be counseling about a couple. It may be counseling about life. It may be counseling about whatever issue someone may have. And this is where I cringe is when somebody says, well, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to live my own life. Man, I shudder at that. There are two things that I fear from God. Not only fear out of reverence, but also out of fear, fear. And that is, is, is taking God's word lightly and tithing. <laughs> I mean, I, just, man, I think God's going to strike me down if I don't give and I don't preach the word of God. I know I'm not perfect. I know he has grace and his, his sovereignty and stuff. But man, I'm telling you, I'm going to give an account before God for the way I preach and for God's word, Right? That's right. You better believe it. Man, I'm telling you. If I don't come here, and by his grace, I may not always be prepared or I may not, but man, I tell you what I want to be, and I just pray that, pray that when I stand before God, but I tell you, who else is going to give an account before God for teaching God's word? Who else? Who else? Teachers. Teachers. Schools. Yeah. All of those things. But you know what? Let me ask you a question. None of us are off the hook. But if it comes down to it and we stand before God and he were to ask you, how did you treat my word? How did you treat my word? Three ways God has spoken to us. Spoken word, living word, written word. Three aspects of scripture from this passage. First Timothy, the second aspect. That word, that word where it says here, it says, he said this, um, until I come, devote yourself. That word devote means to give attention. It means to continue Build the church with God's revelation. It was to be, he, when he was talking to Timothy, it was to be his way of life until I come. Devote yourself. 
to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. I know that he was teaching Timothy how to be a pastor. I understand that. But it also applies and also in, indirectly affects us and all of us as believers that we are to, to continue to build the church. We build that through God's word. It implies previous preparation in private. Whenever we teach, whenever we preach, it involves us being prepared and, and, and also the, the act of studying. It encompasses not just the act of teaching, but all the commitment, study, and preparation associated with it because it's God's word. We need to know what we believe, right? We need to know what we believe. We need to know the Word of God. This is what it does. Three aspects of Scripture in this passage. First of all, I want you to notice the priority of Scripture. He said, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. It It was central to the worship service. The goal of reading was to explain the Scriptures. And here in this passage, he says, devote continuously, give attention to, but preach the Word of God. The priority of Scripture is to preach the public reading of Scripture. I praise God for right now that he gives us the opportunity and the freedom right here to read the Word of God. I praise God that we still, in spite of, in spite of all the pressure and all the condemning and all being called a bigot and being called intolerant, I am grateful that we still can read the Word of God in public here in America and here in the state of Mississippi. I have seen it with my own eyes. I praise God for a governor. Not everybody agrees with him. Not everybody may understand Governor Bryant, but I will may question what, and you're not going to agree with anybody. Nobody ever agreed with Jesus, so how, what makes you think anybody's going to agree with you? But I will say this, I've seen it with my own eyes. I know that he is a very, very strong believer. And I'll never forget the prayer gathering right before the election down there at First Baptist on the steps of First Baptist Church Jackson and right there in front of the Capitol building, everything, where all those senators and, 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 and House of Representatives were, all of that stuff. And he stands up there and he quoted and he, he read from the Word of God. And it's not just Mississippi. In other states as well, there are people that still read the Word of God, and I'm grateful for that. We must continue that because God's Word is God's Word. The second thing, not only the priority of Scripture, I want you to notice the practice of Scripture. The practice of Scripture. Preaching, the public reading, and then preaching the Scriptures. Preaching. This word used here for preaching is a word called exhortation. It challenges people to apply what they have been taught. It challenges us to apply what we have been taught. Reading the Word of God, it's just like this, and you know I do this. You know I love to fish. I enjoy fishing. I can tell stories about fishing. I can tell you, I can show you my rods and my reels. I can show you what I fish with. I can do everything and talk about fishing all I want to. But I am not a fisherman until what? until I go out there and get on the water or get by the water and start fishing. 
See, we must practice what we believe. I can read all the magazines about fishing or whatever it may be. You can read magazine after magazine about how to do something. You can go to YouTube and learn how to change the oil in your vehicle. And it'll give you step after step after step. But until you go and let the rubber meet the road, you are not applying what you are hearing. It means that we apply what we've been taught. It also means to warn people to obey. It takes the form of a warning, counsel, and comfort. It's the moral instruction and application that appeals to the will. That is the practice of Scripture. You know, I'm really sad to say this. I got both sides. Give you a negative and a positive. The negative is this. I believe that there are people that claim to be Christians who are afraid to read the Word of God. What do you mean, Brother Guy? Because it calls us to live a different life. It calls us to live a different life. I don't want to get, you know, hey, I've heard God. I don't want to give up my life right now. I don't want to, and we've heard it all. Listen, there are people, and, and it's, it's not the church. It's not, I, I just don't believe anymore it's the church's fault. When somebody looks at the church and says, well, I'm, I'm not going up there with all those hypocrites. I don't believe that's the church's fault anymore. That, that person is not practicing what the Scriptures say. It comes down to the matter of being obedient to Jesus Christ. Amen? And it does. And, it does. and I believe some people are scared because God's going to change their life upside down. Other people just don't read it. Who claim to be Christians, they don't read it. It's because they just, they, they don't trust God. Let me tell you the positive side, though. There are people I know in this church, you can see the radiance of God in their life and across this country and in leadership from across this country where people spend time in the Word of God and it just radiates out there. It radiates. They practice it. They desire, and it's because they have that relationship with Jesus. It's that moral instruction and application that appeals to the will. Thirdly, the priority, the practice, and thirdly is this, the purpose of Scripture. The purpose of Scripture, just like the priority and the practice, but the purpose of Scripture is teaching the Scriptures. It says there, he says, to preaching and to teaching. That's why we have Sunday school teachers here. That's why we have people that teach the Word of God is because this is what it means. It involves the systematic explanation of the Word of God. Now, I know that word. You know what the word systematic means. There's a system to it from Genesis to Revelation, but there's an systematic explanation of the Word of God. We seek to do that. That's why we have classes. That's why we, when we meet, we open up the Word of God and we seek to teach them. It could embody developing a means of teaching people individually or in a small group. We do that. I mentioned that. We do that. Sometimes the best times of the Word of God is when you get in a small group and you are taught and you, you discuss back and forth, what does this mean? What does that mean? And it means to teach the truth Christian's faith. Number three, what does Scripture do? What do the Scriptures do? What does Scripture do? Number one is this. I encourage you to write these down. The first one is this. Look at this. It directs you and me away from temptation and sin. 
It directs you and me away from temptation and sin. I mentioned a while ago that Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, and I, incur, I don't have that in my notes, but I've quoted it, but in Matthew chapter 4, he said, he, when Jesus, how did he combat temptation in his weakest moments? He says this, listen to this, listen to this very carefully and quickly. Jesus answered, or excuse me, uh, then the tempter came to him and said, verse 3, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand to the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And even, listen to this, even Satan quoted scripture, but he twisted it. Do you know Satan knows the word of God inside and out, but he, but he, but he twists it? This is what he says. He says, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift, up your, uh, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, it is also written, do not put the Lord God to, your, to the test. And then finally, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in splendor, said, you can have all of this. You can have all the power, Jesus. And, and it's interesting that Jesus already had the power, right? He, was already, he already had the authority. He already had it, but it's like this Satan's going to give him the power and authority. But he said this, you can have all the power in the world. I'll give you all of this. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then here's what's so encouraging. When we are tempted by, when we're, we're tempted by temptation and sin, or we're, we're tempted with temptation and sin, look at what happens. The, then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Let me tell you something. Jesus will never leave you. Man, when that temptation comes and you combat that temptation and you fight that temptation through the power of God's word, Jesus comes and he nourishes you. Psalm 119, 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Matthew twenty two twenty nine 29 says, Jesus replied, you err, listen to this, you err because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. Not only does it direct you in a way you and me away from temptation, it also directs you and me to eternal life. John 6, 68 says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 1 John 5, 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, it directs you and me to know the assurance of eternal life. It directs people to know Calls them to salvation and come brings them to salvation. It directs you and me to eternal life. Thirdly, is this is what it does. It directs you and me just simply in life. Directs you and me in life. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, He humbled you to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word of God. That's the scripture that Jesus quoted there in the desert. And then Matthew, again I said in Matthew 4.4, 4, it directs us, directs you and me in life in life you know the bible says to pray right it says to pray without ceasing this past thursday night i, I took uh, one of our members down to uh, a ministry called walk to emmaus and i remember when i went through that ministry uh, four years ago i remember a guy by the name of mark johns mark johns and I'll never forget him when we were in one of the study sessions. He says, I need you to pray for my brother. This was four years ago. I need you to pray for my brother because my brother 
And he went on to explain some things that he was involved in and stuff. Well, when I took this member down uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the ministry, guess who was there going through that ministry? Mark John's brother. Four, even probably longer than that. It directs you and me. Scriptures direct us to pray. It directs you and me in life. Number four, it sets you and me apart from this world. It sets you and me apart from this world. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And then finally in closing, how do we apply this to our lives today? Number one is I want to encourage all of us, encourage you, encourage me. Hey, let's engage our lives to the Scripture. In other words, read it. <laughs> read it. Number two, ingrain your mind with scriptures. Ingrain your mind with scriptures. In other words, memorize it. This is what cults do right here. Do you know that cults, those that oppose God and, and, and seek to bash Jesus and and, and all that. you know what they do? They ingrain their doctrine in their minds. They ingrain it. If you'll, go, if you'll just turn on the news, it doesn't even have to be a cult. Listen, if you just turn on the news now, you'll see people acting out what they believe. It's been ingrained in them on how they live their lives. Just look at all the protests. Just look at where people are living today. They need Jesus. Don't get me wrong. They need to know Jesus Christ. He will set them free. But I'm just saying there are consequences when you don't read the word of God, especially if you're not a believer. If you're a believer, you're going to stray if you're not careful. But man, you're seeing people unfolded today by a country that has left the word of God. So we must engage it. We must ingrain it. And then the thirdly is this. Engulf your heart. Engulf your heart into the scriptures. Meditate and saturate on it. I've told you many times, and you've heard this over and over again, how much how many, there are some things I just love to eat and engulf my mouth in. There are some things I just will engulf and inhale it, man, because it just tastes so good. By the way, anybody cooking a pot roast for lunch today? Can I come over today? Can I come over? I, I'm tasting it right now, and I just thought of that. No, we're going to engulf our mouths in just a few moments, but I want you to know this. Jesus said, and Jesus ate the Word of God. He says, I'm the bread of life. Jesus feasted on His Father's Word, even though He knew it inside and out. He engulfed His heart into the scriptures. Let's pray together. Father, I come before you right now, and God, I, I thank you for this time as we enter this invitation. But real quickly, listen to me. Do you know for certain, does everyone in this room, do you know for certain that if you die today that you'd be in heaven? The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
The Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin separated us from God. And God build, bridged that gap of sin between, between God the Father and man. There had to be a bridge, and that bridge was the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God was raised from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved and have eternal life. Do you know for certain if you die today that you'd be in heaven? The Bible says you can ask and, and, and the Bible says to repent because all likewise will perish. We must repent of our sin. He calls us to that and, and calls us to live. And, 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 and because of that transformation, he changes our lives. But what about us who are believers here today? Have, has the word of God become dry? You see, when it becomes dry, the only thing is, let me ask you a question, the same thing in my, in my life. Who moved? Did God ever move? No, we move away from God. Many times we treat God as if, he, as if he's a toy up on a shelf, and then when we need him, we'll play with it. If not, we'll leave it up on the shelf. But maybe you're here today. God's calling you to become be a part of this sweet church family. Whatever it may be, you be obedient to the Lord today. Or maybe it's just to come and pray. Grab Logan and I by the hand and have us pray for you. Whatever the Lord leads you. If you will, quietly stand, reverently stand. And as we sing, as Brother Barry leads, you come, you step out. Right now, as we stand and sing, you come, you step out. Be seated one more time, and then we're going to be dismissed. If you would, look in your bulletin. Um, two weeks from today at 2 o'clock, I've been asked to preach downtown Jackson for a church called The Healing Place. And um, Pastor Walter has asked me to preach that afternoon, and then he asked me if our church would help serve food and bring food. So this is what I want to ask uh, for your help. 
is if you could help by bringing a side dish that day that when we take it, that we don't have to bring it back. In other words, put it in something that, that will be, uh, that we can dispose of. But I need your help out here on a sign-up sheet, just a side dish. We've already got the meat taken care of. But, uh, we, and, and also the second thing is, is manpower or woman power. Both of them, if you wouldn't mind going that day, eating with us, and help serving these people in downtown Jackson. It's a mission opportunity, but out here on the kiosk, you can sign up for both. But I encourage you to be a part of that. I can't wait to preach. It's going to be a great day, so I want to encourage you with that. Also, you see tonight, I encourage you to find one of these groups where you apply, and I encourage you to be a part of those. Five o'clock um, tonight, we'll have child care here for those that need it. And um, then you see there our senior adult luncheon. Um, in the fellow, at noon on the fellowship hall on the 28th, so just want to remind you of that as well. And Miss Elaine's Bible study continues to go on. And on the back, you'll see a thank you from Miss Frances McGowan. And then as we leave today, as we leave today, all right, we have some youth here as we continue this month with a love offering for our Operation Christmas Child shoebox. So make sure you see that. Make sure you do that as you go. Thank you already for those that have given encourage you to do that as well. Brother Barry, I know you got something you need to say about the trip. About the trip coming up on March the 13th through the 17th to the Noah's Ark and the Creation Museum in Kentucky. If you're going on that trip, I need to give you an update this morning. And if you'd still like to go and you have not signed up, we still have plenty of room. Just come talk to me. We're going to meet right down here this morning before you leave, okay? All right. Thank you, Brother Barry. If you would, please stand. Please, Sam, there you see our Deacon of the Week, Sam Mabry. If there's something emergency comes up, there's his phone number. But I'm going to ask Brother Don Martin, our Chairman of Deacons, if you would, sir, to close us with our uh, prayer uh, service today, please.
want to, but I believe just like at least we're trying, amen? At least we want to try. That's one church. Another church is preaching today. Another mentor of mine is preaching, getting out of the box. And if you know this, if you know this pastor who's been here before, I won't say his name, but it's Hal Kitchings. But anyway, um, he literally on his stage today, he has a box made for him, and he's preaching. He's, Brother Hal's just weird, okay? But you know, he, does, he does some neat things, a great godly preacher, but he loves object lessons. And he has a box right now in his service where he is preaching inside of the box. And guess what the title is? You can guess it, surely. It's called Getting Out of the Box. Getting Out of the Box. About reaching people to Jesus and to his body of believers. And this morning, I want to share with you this message, and I have a couple of other examples of what some other churches are doing. Not that we have to mimic them, but I just want you to know, hey, look, man, there are other churches reaching people for Christ just like we desire to. Tommy and I were in Vicksburg yesterday on a date. She and I went on a date together and had a great time. I'm from Vicksburg, and um, I enjoy Vicksburg. I really do, and we went to eat there, and we stopped by one of my my dad's best friend's home last night. And got to visit with them. Great. He's, Dr. Valentine is 78 years old. His wife, the same. I better not get into that. I get in trouble for saying I won't. But they're, they're only five weeks apart. And they were a part of a church that I grew up in called Bomar Avenue Baptist Church. Has anybody in here been to Bomar Avenue Baptist back, back in the day? Bomar. Okay, Bomar. That's where I went to church and where I grew up in church. Bomar Avenue Baptist Church. Now, it's not called Bomar Avenue Baptist Church. It's called Crossway Church. For their church, for their church, they believe God led them to relocate, and they're on the outside on 61 South. Tommy and I passed by Bomar Avenue Baptist Church last night on the way to eat, and I looked at that church, and, you know, when you're a child, everything looks so big to you. I mean, it looks huge. But when we passed by Bomar Avenue Baptist Church, I looked at the church, and I thought, wow, look how small it looks. And you know what? That church runs over five to 600 people now because they, for them, for them, they knew God was leading them. And by the way, they do two services too, two services. They have over 400 in the second service, and in the first service, they have 65. And I said, Dr. Valentine, why, why do y'all do that? Why do you have a service that has so many in it in the second hour and so little in the first service? Because we, we, we have two services, but, you know, sometimes people ask, why do we do what we do? He says, this is why. Number one, really, I wasn't for it. But I supported my pastor. And number two, we needed to reach people for Christ. I said, you have the first service like we do to have openness in the second. Yeah, because we have guests on our mind, not just members of our church because we're wanting to reach people. I had lunch this past week with a guy named Glenn Shouse. You may not know him. You may know him. Glenn Shouse served at the Baptist Buildings, has been a youth pastor, has been a pastor. He told me about a church in Bentonia, Mississippi, has anybody in here ever been to or heard of a church called Ogden Baptist Church in Bentonia, Mississippi? You have. You have? Okay, y'all know where it is, okay? And he was describing for me, number one, they're without a pastor. 
Number two, they don't, they don't have a minister of music. They have a lay person leading, and they have a lay person that leads the youth. They have a lay person. And he was telling me, he was describing, they have three Sunday school classes. They have a senior adult, just three, senior adult, medium adult, and young adult. And the, they have something for youth and children. But listen, in worship, this is without a pastor, in worship, they're running over 200 people in that church. Two services, running over 200 people, and they only have 55 in Sunday school. 55 in Sunday school. I said, how in the world can they do? What are they doing? And this is what Brother Glenn told me the other day. He said, guy, they love their church, and they are inviting people because they love their church, and they want people there, and they want to grow. You see, Jesus came so that others may have life. I also looked on the web page, on Facebook page, and they have a youth service on Wednesday night. They have children, and, they do, and they're doing this all without a pastor. I'm here to tell you, it's not just because of the pastor. It's an atmosphere, certainly not with location, and it's certainly not about a building. It's about an atmosphere where people feel welcome and people know that they care and know that they are being loved and cared for. That is why people come to that church. As a matter of fact, it is the young, they do two services. In their first service, it's the younger generation that's coming on Sunday morning at the first service and the older generation that's going to the second service. All I'm saying is, is wherever we are, wherever we're planted, we must, it, it's always been the same. It's always been the same in the Bible. And it's always been this, is that it's been one-on-one people bringing people to God's kingdom and to God's church. By the way, there is a person here today out in the audience, uh, one of our members that invited a man, another person to come to our church. And she's here this morning because our member asked that person to come to church with them this morning. But why, in some occasions, do we not want people to come? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want you to see God's heartbeat. Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38, and John chapter 1, 40 through 42. Matthew chapter 9, one of my favorite passages, bringing people to Jesus, bringing people, yes, we are to go out and tell others about Christ, absolutely. But I also believe in the church that we are to bring people to the church because God uses the body of Christ to help the church grow and as well, not only numerically, but I'm talking about spiritually, to having their growth in their their life. But also, not only do we bring people to the kingdom, but we have a responsibility to get people to the church. Yes, I believe in go and tell. That is what the Bible teaches, go and tell. And I've heard people say sometimes, instead of hear and come, well, I, 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 I like that, it sounds good, but at some point, we have to have people get people here because we care for them, because we, not only do we want to see them saved, but we want to see them grow in their relationship with God, and that's why we have, why you have Sunday school classes that should care and that should reach out and also have them grow in God's Word, and it's a continuous process. Because Jesus' death was not in vain. Matthew chapter 9, and I want us to look at what Jesus did, and then I want you to turn to John, Mark, John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. So listen carefully. Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. Today, I'm going to have you, have you just remain seated, but you follow along in your translation as I read a lot of mine. Jesus 
went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Look very carefully at this next verse and listen. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a shepherd, or excuse me, like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, look, the harvest is plentiful, but what's few? The workers, the workers, the laborers. Jesus didn't pray at that point for lost people to be saved. Jesus didn't pray at that moment for, for, uh, for, for uh, people to uh, actually grow in their faith. No, he prayed for workers, for you and I to get up out of our box and get up out of our comfort zone and have an attitude like Jesus did here, and that was to care and to reach people because time is running. You can believe it or not. You can say what you will, but everybody in here is a heartbeat away from either heaven or hell. We are, time is running out. Yes, God, Jesus could come back today. It may, but again and again, it may be 50, 60 years from now. But the New Testament believers lived as though Jesus was coming back at that moment. And he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So today I want to ask you, church family, who are you bringing? Who is out there that you can go out and ask and invite to come to be a part of this fellowship and God's kingdom. Point number one is this. Reaching people has been God's plan since eternity. Point number one. Reaching people has been God's plan since eternity. What do you mean, brother guy? Eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. In eternity, God's plan was, you look at it, and just like we learned on Wednesday night that Don's teaching, we've gone through Genesis, we've gone through Exodus, and everything that's being taught there on that night is a message of where God's plan was to deliver the people of children of Israel out of bondage, and the correlation is to lead people out of the bondage of sin, and when you get to the New Testament, you see Jesus, God sent Jesus to come into this world, not only to heal, not only to preach, but all of that, but to lead people to the kingdom of God. It's always been God's plan since eternity because man's wickedness had to be dealt with. By the way, go back and look. This past Wednesday, we were talking about all the plagues. And how many of, I know I've been to seminary, but I can't remember how many plagues there were. Do you recall how many plagues there were total? Was it 10 or 11? 10. 10 plagues. God tried to get their attention, tried to get Pharaoh's attention with, with frogs and, and uh, wherever you look at it, insects or lice. Could you imagine? Ugh. Ugh. You know, lice. Ugh. I can dance. See, I can, I can do it. But I mean lice and gnats. Gnats. We talked about flies the other night. Can you imagine having constant fly? Ugh. Just, mm. Man, I can't stand just like some others can't stand. When you have a dinner, and man, some reason, it's just that one fly that gets in there and lands on a vine-ripened tomato and ruins everything, you know? And you want to you try to do everything to get that fly. But anyway, I'm getting off, off plan here, but 
God, you, listen, God was using that as a plan to deliver his people and to deliver his people from sin. When that didn't work, you had a time period between Malachi and Matthew, over 400-year span, where God did not speak, God did not do anything, and then boom, on the scene, God sends Jesus for the purpose because of sin. Just like Noah and the ark, because of man's wickedness, God provided a deliverer through Noah in that boat. And in Moses, through Moses, divided, uh, brought a, a leader to come in and lead the people out. All throughout biblical history, you see that. And then you get to the New Testament. It's always been God's plan because man's wickedness had to be dealt with. People, Jesus said here, when he saw the crowds, Jesus saw more than what was on the outside. Jesus saw them from a divine view We and myself, we look at people and we judge people by what? By what's on the what? The outside. Jesus saw their divine need of spirit deep. He saw their deep divine spiritual need. Look at where it says there. He says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Like What was he saying there? When you study the language of the text, Jesus saw their heart that if they did not turn to him, he would, they would face his father's judgment, and it's still the same today. But don't, don't misunderstand. God is a wrathful God, yes, but until that day comes, God is also a God of love and mercy. And he says here through Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He saw their divine spiritual need. It was deeper than a withered arm, a bleeding body, a possessed mind, a blind eyes, or deaf ears. That's what they wanted Jesus to. That's when you read passages where people came and they flocked to Jesus. Why? Because they wanted to be healed. They wanted to be different. And even even just through that passion to do that, Jesus still healed them, still did what he did. But the main thing he was there to do is that he healed their spiritual need, just like you and me. We go day to day. We walk by people day after day. We walk by people in our business and our people in our work. And what do we see? Do we see just what's on the outside or do we see what's on the inside? He saw their spiritual need. He looked deeper inside the person. We must be a church, church family, where we see people, just like one of our members this morning, bringing a friend not even from Canton, I don't think, not even from Canton here, to come, hey, come to our church today. He saw their heart. He saw their deep and pervasiveness of their sin. Not only that, he saw the lostness of their souls. We can talk back and forth all we want to about how bad America is or, or, or this, this president does this, and I understand those things. We try to fix the world. But what does Jesus see? What did Jesus see? Jesus saw people, and just like there are people today that fit that same category. If you are a believer in here, how dare we look down on other people at all? Jesus didn't look down on you, did he? He didn't look down on me. No, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If anybody had an opportunity to go ahead and just call hellfire and brimstone down on people and down on this world and just totally destroy it, man, or, or, do what, or destroy us right now. I believe the Bible. I believe what Jesus says. 
And here in Jesus saying, he said he's seeing the lostness. We need to be broken over the lostness of people's souls. Romans 3, 8, 3, excuse me, Romans 3, 10 through 18. Uh, different, uh, 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 there's, I'm not going to read all 18, but this is what it says. There is no one who does what is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. He's describing the sinful state and the lostness of man, of how corrupt it is. And that God's plan has always been for his church to reach people, not only for the kingdom, but also for the church, his bride, the church. Ephesians 2, 1 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Praise God for his mercy and kindness, or you and I wouldn't be here today, and we must reach people. Number two, reaching people not only has been God's plan since eternity, but God's, or reaching people has been God's priority since eternity. God's motive and priority has been, is this, and he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That word compassion, it literally means this. It literally means the intestines or the bowels. In other words, this is what what it's referring to. He used that word to show that it refers to the deep emotional state of someone's life. I like the phrase in some translations, it says deeply moved with compassion. In other words, his heart ached for people. His heart ached for people. He was moved with deep emotional and spiritual anguish. And this is another, another point to bring up is that that's where you see the divine nature of God, but that's where you also see the humanity of Jesus in that his heart ached. And when he looked over Jerusalem and he saw the lostness of his people, he wept, he wept, he wept, he broke down because he knew that they were going to reject him. He knew that some were going to reject He knew that there were going to be those that would not turn to him. But he also knew that he was going to the cross to die for their sins. And if they would just repent, they would not face the Father's wrath and the Father's judgment. My dear friend, the Bible says it is given among men to die what? And then what? The judgment. I'm just saying, people, listen. We must have an attitude like Jesus did. He reached people. He loved people. He was relational with people. He preached the good news. He healed people. We as a church want to continue to minister to people, minister outside here. But we know we must, for the lifeblood of this church, we have to have people. Matthew 23, verse 37. And look, by the way, you can't do it by yourself, and I sure can't do it. Just by myself. He's called all of us. But Matthew 23, 37 says this. This is where he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. He's talking about the Pharisees and the religious council. He says, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus is saying, it's like he's saying today, look, I long for mankind to come to have a relationship with me, but you have turned your back on me. But God's priority has always been since eternity to bring people to Jesus. And then number three, reaching people, we're bringing people to Jesus and bringing people to God's church will always be God's purpose for redemption. Listen carefully. God uses you and I or you and me, however you say that, he uses you and me to accomplish the mission of the goal of reaching people. 
It's always been. Let me go ahead and turn to it. Turn to John chapter 1 for a moment. John chapter 1. And if you look in, John, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, where it says the Lord added daily those who came. You know, the early church, they met together. They taught the word of God. They worshiped together. They fellowshiped together. But it was still people going out and getting people to come. And look, listen to John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. We have found him. And look at verse 42. What does it say? One, NIV uses one, two, three, four, five, six words. He says this. And he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. Nothing will ever waver from one-on-one evangelism, one-on-one reaching people. It's always been the plan. It will always be the plan. Churches absolutely implement and put things in where we can have masses of people come, whatever it takes to bring people to Christ. He said, and this is number, but redemption has always been God's purpose. Ephesians 2, 3 through 4 says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, listen, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God's purpose was, again, to send Jesus, but he also chose to use you and me with the message of Jesus Christ. Whatever, wherever you may be in the future, we're going to try to do our best to train people how to share their faith. We're going to go back and try to figure out ways to do that. Hoping you'll be involved with that. But listen, nothing, nothing, can, nothing can take the place of someone just going and building a relationship with somebody and inviting them. Inviting them to Jesus, but inviting them to be a part of the church. Inviting them to come where they will hear about Jesus. We all know that. But why are we, constant, why are we not constantly moved by God's purpose and passion for lost mankind? Can I be just as direct and I am just as guilty as anybody? And anyone says, who says that they've never been guilty of this is, is to me not telling the truth. It's this. And please listen and please take this in the most loving way. We simply don't care. We simply don't care. Because we live in a society in the Western world where it's all about the person instead of others. It's taught, it, we've been brainwashed. It's taught in our schools, it's taught in our jobs, it's taught on TV, it's taught in the media. We are so, even, I mean, as believers, we have so much external stuff against us that we have to combat culture with, but it's simply that we do not care about others. We, morally care, we, we care more about ourselves. Now, not everybody get upset at that, but it's still the truth. We just don't. So what do we do? Does that mean that we give up and we beat ourselves up? Or No. What it means is, is we get to caring. <laughs> we see people as Jesus sees them. We see, people, we see people the way Jesus saw them. 
He said the worker, he said the harvest is plentiful. God, the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. We're to pray for workers as well as look at the world as Jesus sees and saw it. They will stand before God one day. And here's, and here's a biblical formula that's real simple out of, this, out of this passage of John chapter one. Here it is real quick. The biblical formula for bringing people to Jesus and his body of believers. Here's, here's one formula that we can say. Number one is seeking. Number one is seeking. Seeking out other people. Seeking, being intentional. Number two is inviting. Easter is seven weeks away. I do like what that church is doing, having an emphasis seven weeks out. But as we meet each Sunday, I just want to just keep it on your mind that who are we going to bring and what are we going to do? Who are we going to invite? But but you don't have to wait till Easter. But seeking people. Then number two, inviting, at least talking to them, pray to God. At least you could do is, at least we could do is pray about it and ask God, God, I pray for so-and-so. Help me, give me the courage just to invite them to come. Invite them, invite them. But Lord, what if they reject me? All these things come into our minds and stuff. Just do what Jesus, they may turn you down. They may reject. Find somebody else. Because, because, I, I meant to say this at the first, but I didn't. Christ is always receptive to seeking souls. There's going to be somebody seeking, inviting, and then number three is bringing. Bringing. Bringing people. Bringing people. I love this church very much. A lot of things go on at this church. Things maybe you don't know about behind the scenes when committees meet and this goes on. All the stuff of the church. This church, deep down, is a loving, caring church. We can't hold that in. There are people out there just like these families that have been here within at least the last five years. These families that have come, you see, you see the fruit of it. You see what happens. But it's a matter of what do we, but why? Why won't we let them in? It's a question to ask, at least challenge yourself with. Is there a reason why we don't let people like, like this come in with children and stuff? Are we keeping things away? Are we, we, we want church to be done the way we want it to be done. I asked Dr. Valentine last night. They do a contemporary service in the second service. And both Dr. Valentine, who are 78 years old, both of them looked at me, and we're, we are great friends, but they looked at me, and they said, God, we just don't like the contemporary service. He's the chairman of the deacons. He is the pillar of the church. He is also an elder in the church, and he sat right there and told me, but then he said, God, it's not about me. It's about others. It's about others. We don't like some of the things, but I support my pastor. He stands with his pastor, but hey, we want to reach. And they run over 500-something people in church. You know what? You don't have to relocate. You don't have to build another building. Because when the church comes alive, and the church and its people become burdened, and its people love Jesus the way that we should love Jesus, man, you won't have to... You, you, you may have to build another building because you can't keep them in. I encourage you today. You, you do so many things well, church. You're a loving people. I encourage you and I implore you. Let's bring people to the 
body of Christ and to the church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, so much for today. I thank you for this wonderful church, God, as we move forward. And yes, God, we know that there are things coming up. And, but God, we, you have called us to be the light in the darkness. And God, there are so many things that we need to do probably better. And me as a pastor, I need to do things better. I need, I, I need to do things. I, I know as a leader, there are things that I need to do better in leading this church. But God, this church loves you and loves people. And Father, the DNA of this, you know the DNA of this church. Man, it is a loving church, and it helps people. God, don't ever let us lose that, because the future is depending on that. Until you come home, there are lives, just like the joiners and those children, just like we have children. I don't know how many we had here today. God, please let us continue to reach out to people. God, Forgive me where I have failed you in that. But God, you tell us that we must, we repent, move on, do whatever we can. If we've had a rotten attitude about reaching others, God, let us repent, let us move on. It is your heartbeat. We must reach people. So God, I pray that First Baptist Church can, in the future, from this day forward, that God, this place will continue to be a lighthouse. People, God, that people see, see us out in the community reaching out in the community, reaching out everywhere, doing whatever, God, to reach people. People like the joiners, children. People like just other families in here that are here because someone brought them. God, I love you, and I thank you, God. Give us the desire, but give us the brokenness over lostness. God, break our hearts. It's in your precious name I pray. I'm going to ask you to stand quietly and reverently. But if you're here today, dear friend, and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know for certain that if you die today that you would be in heaven, I want to encourage you, step out of the aisle. You come. Logan and I are here at the front. We can lead you to Jesus. Maybe God's leading you to become a part of this great church family. I encourage you. What a great church family. You come. You be obedient to what God. Maybe it's just to come and pray as always. Maybe it's just to come and um, fall on your knees here and just pray for your church. Pray for people. Pray for people. I encourage you to do it. Brother Barry, as he leads, as as he sings, you come. You now step out. You come right now.